Do you remember your first day at a new job where you didn't know exactly where to go? You didn't know exactly what role everyone played? You weren't sure maybe even where your desk was or where you went? Over a few weeks you learned all of that, but it's, you kind of work through a little bit of awkwardness at the beginning. Working for a church is no different. For me, working here at Crosspoint was no different, figuring out where to park, where my desk may be, where things would go, how things operated. But you know, there are some other things that happen when you start at a place. Maybe some hazing that goes on. Not Crosspoint. Oh wait, yeah, that did happen. So what happened here at Crosspoint was, I've been here for a few weeks, and I have gotten a little bit more comfortable. You know, I know kind of the lay of the land, where things are, how to, how to do things. So I, you know, I started trusting people more, and that was my first mistake. <laughs> so one day I went to lunch, and I just left my office wide open, and I came back, and my office was gone. And here's what I mean. So on the left was my office, but you can see there's nothing there. On the right, there's my office down to everything, my, my telephone's in the back there, my calendar's on the wall, and that's a bathroom. <laughs> so, that's what I came back to, but uh, the joke was on them, I stayed there all afternoon. <laughs> and so what happens immediately in these moments is we start planning What will we do in response to this? Well, I want to welcome you to Crosspoint this morning, especially if you're one of our guests. We're especially glad that you're here. If you're looking for a church home, we hope that you will be part of Crosspoint. We hope that you felt this morning the family uh, that we are here. This is a wonderful family that does sometimes play some pranks on one another. My name is Cale Courtright. I'm the spiritual formation minister here. And we're in the middle of a series called Words to Live By. It's on the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthews chapter 5 through 7. And we, I called it Words to Live By because these are truly words to live by. There is not another point of scripture for me that is more important that, than that Christians should know this. There's nothing more important. And one question that we come... when we come to these scriptures, is we wonder, how do we take Jesus here? Do we take him at his word? Literally. Do we do what he says? We read it, and in this passage, Jesus doesn't really use fancy language. He, He just kind of lays it out there, what his vision for his kingdom, and specifically his vision for his followers. Will you do what he says? That's the question. It's not complicated, but it can be difficult. Last week we talked about how Jesus asks his followers to resist temptation. And he asks the question, will you do anything to resist temptation? To resist sin? And as his followers, we have to be willing to do anything. It's because Jesus wants us to live a life of freedom. He wants us to be free from sin. He knows what life is like when you're caught in sin, and he doesn't want that for his followers. He doesn't want you to live a life of sin because he wants you to be free. 
And he wants you to be free to do something. And that's where we'll pick up. Today we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 38, if you have a Bible with you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. All the passages we read will be on the screen today. We'll start verse 38. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You know, if you go to Google and you type in revenge stories, you will find a lot. You'll find article after article of the best revenge stories that people have ever heard. There's a website called Reddit that people can go and uh, just discuss with one another. And it's broken down into lots of subcategories. So if you wanted to go and talk about the Dallas Cowboys, you could do that. Or if you wanted to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, you could go to that place. But there's actually a category on Reddit that's called pro-revenge. So when something has happened to you, or maybe a family member, someone you love, you can seek revenge, and then you can go on there and share how well you've done. You know, they tried to mess with me, but they didn't know what was coming. That sort of thing. And we don't have to be taught this, do we? That to seek revenge, to get back at one another. We have two boys. We have a four-year-old named Stephen and a two-year-old named Jackson. And we didn't teach them to get back at one another, but they know how to do it already. They love to play with Legos, and Stephen in particular likes to build a tower as tall as he can. And as a two-year-old, Jackson, while he calls it walking, sometimes it's more like stumbling, and he will sometimes stumble into the tower, and let's be honest, sometimes he knocks it over on purpose. And what happens? Stephen, in response, something has to happen. And so he pushes or he hits. And, and Jackson, though he's only two, is not one to shy away from a fight. And so he will respond. And before you know it, in the bedroom we have World War III breaking out. And we didn't teach them this, but they knew how to do it anyways. No one in here learned about revenge or vengeance or getting back. And yet, this is who we are as people. And Jesus understands this, and so he pulls this teaching, and he pulls it straight out of the Old Testament. And I want to read to you today the passages that he probably had in mind. There are three in particular. First, Exodus chapter 21, it says this, But if there is injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. writer of Exodus pretty much covers everything there, doesn't he? No matter how you've been injured, there's a way to respond. Leviticus chapter 24 says, Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. And lastly, and maybe most strongly, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, it says, You must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, 
hand for hand, foot for foot. See, Jesus pulls this passage, and these are coming from the most important teachings for the Jewish people, straight from the Torah, which is the first five books of our Old Testament. And you read these, and you might wonder, what kind of people were these? You might read these and think, how barbaric. What kind of God allows this teaching? And you may be surprised to learn that this shows progress. That God gives this teaching, and when he shows, he gives his Jewish people a step forward in the world. Because just like we are, people would have continually upped the ante. So while when God gives a tooth for a tooth or a hand for a hand message, that was a step forward because it used to be, you knock out my tooth, I'll take your eye. You steal my livestock, I'll kidnap your son. And so what God gives here is a teaching that limits the vengeance, but he does provide justice. Because see, what we know is that for there to be justice, there must be retribution. If someone is a victim of harm, there is no justice unless harm is done to the abuser. And so God gives that, but he doesn't allow it to escalate. This is progress for people. But Jesus takes this and he sees that there is a system of justice and Jesus wants his followers to take yet another step forward. See, he wants you to be free from sin in your life so that you can take a step forward into his kingdom which is, rather than playing into the system of justice, Jesus wants to establish a system of grace and mercy and love. Jesus wants to change the way the world works. He wants us to subvert the system and instead lead with generosity and lead with love. See, people from the beginning of time have come to believe that violence is just the way of the world. And that for you to protect yourself from violence, you must be more violent. To protect yourself from those who can do you harm, you must have more power and be capable of doing more harm to them. That's the way the world works. Turn on the news any given day and you see this playing out over and over again. Jesus wants to offer a different way. And look at what he says here. He says, turn the other cheek. If you've been hit on the right cheek. And what he's saying there, he's showing is, if you've been hit on the right cheek, that means you've been hit with the left hand or the backside of a right hand. And you only do that if you're trying to humiliate someone. If you're trying to insult their dignity. And Jesus doesn't say, stand up for yourself. Hit them back. Show them your dignity. Show them who you are. No, Jesus says, you turn the other cheek because your dignity, your value is found in me, not and in anyone else. It says if you are sued for your shirt, even the shirt off your back, give them your coat as well. Now in the Jewish culture, your coat was very important. If you're traveling along, it shields you from the weather. If you're staying overnight somewhere, it can become your pillow or your blanket. You're not even allowed to sue for someone's coat because if that's all they're down to, The Jewish people knew they at least needed their coat. And Jesus says, if they have the guts to sue you for the shirt off your back, you give them your coat as well. Because we're creating a system of grace and mercy, not of justice. Now the Jewish people were an occupied people. 
They did not rule over themselves. They were subject to Rome. And they knew this every single day. There would not be a day that goes by that they would have forgotten who their masters were. And Romans, they could at any point in time have their subject people work for them. So it would not have been out of the ordinary for them to say, carry my stuff for a mile. Carry my stuff for a mile. And you can imagine how the Jewish people would respond to this, just like you or I would. Not with a great attitude, but begrudgingly. With a poor attitude. Some even became the kind of people, zealots, who wanted to overthrow and do harm to them. And Jesus says, no, the attitude that you will have, you want me to go a mile with you? I'll go two. You want to slap me on the right cheek? Go ahead and do it again. You want my shirt? I'll give you my coat. Because Jesus knows that what we've been doing isn't working. That vengeance doesn't solve anything. It's the old saying, an eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind. And that's what Jesus knows to be true. But he kind of, the responses he gives kind of are a little bit sarcastic. He wants his followers to be creative with how they respond. Oh, you want my shirt? I'll give you my coat too. You want me to go one mile? I'll I'll just go two. There's a little bit of sarcasm or there's some creativity, some imagination in this. There's an Australian pastor and activist named Jared McKenna. And when he went to seminary, he was studying this passage. And he was also studying how this passage influenced Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. And so he's been reading about this, he's been studying this, and he goes to walk home after class. And he's walking under an underpass, and when a guy comes up to him that's much bigger, much larger than he is, that begins to rob him. Of which he notes, you should have known better than to rob a seminary student, but Jared has just been reading this passage and how you respond to those who are trying to take from you. And so he says, how do I respond to this? So he starts to give over his money, but he doesn't want to leave it at that, so he says, hi, I'm Jared. And now the guy is very confused and he says, I'm I'm James. And they begin to have a conversation, and Jared can tell this guy is not in a great state. So while he hands over his money, Jared also mentions, why don't you come to my house with me? I've got an extra room, you can stay the night. I have a shower, we can get you some clean clothes. Why don't you come on over? Now James is in a tough spot because he's robbed him, and now he's being offered more. And he's going to turn it down because he's got friends waiting And Jared says, well, one more thing. Let me hand you one more thing. And he gives over his Bible. And inside it, he he describes how his contact information is all in there. If you decide you want to come take me up on my offer, you just give me a call. If you need someone to pray with, to sit and eat with, you give me a call. James is now walking away, but now he's got tears in his eyes. Because this is the person that takes Jesus' teaching and he puts it in practice in his life. And James' life is never the same because of it. So how will you respond in the face of this kind of evil? And Jesus doesn't stop there with his teaching. Back in our text, we'll pick it back up in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, I couldn't find this law, and I may have missed it. 
But I don't believe this is a lot from the Old Testament. Rather, Jesus knows we love our neighbors. We love our people. And hatred for the other flows out of that. It becomes natural. But Jesus has a different way. He says, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus takes it up a notch. He doesn't describe here just how will you respond, but he says, how will you live? Who will you go out and love? Because Jesus knows who we've been loving. It's loving those, we've been loving those who are easy to love. We've been loving those who look like us, who believe like us, who think like us. And Jesus says, there's a different way. So he doesn't just give a teaching on how we respond, which we respond kindly, just like I teach my sons. If, if the Lego tower gets knocked over, how you respond matters. But more than that, Jesus says, who will you go out and love? See, far too often we wait for moments to come to us, don't we? We will love people when the moment arises. When the opportunity presents itself, then we will love those that are hard to love. But Jesus' commandment here for love is to go out and seek someone to love. And specifically, go out and seek someone that may be difficult to love. At the very least, he says, we pray for those. But love is to be the kind of person that is with another and it's for their good. And we love them into God's formative purposes. So it's placing you yourself in the presence of another who may hate you, who may seek to harm you, and seeking to do good in their life. See, far too often we wait until it's maybe convenient for us. But Jesus says you don't just love your friends or those who are like you. That's what everybody does. But we in here... Those who seek to follow Jesus, we're called to a different way. Even pagans love their friends, he says. We are called to be different. See, the entire us versus them narrative, Jesus tears that down. That's how the world loves to divide themselves. Those who are like us and those who are not. And Jesus says, that is out for my followers. All there are in the world are people. And all people are to be loved. We don't get to say, I'll love you or I'll love you. No, if we come across anybody, that is somebody we are to love. And this is Jesus' teaching for us today. But it is a challenging teaching. How challenging is it that he sends rain on the just and the unjust? There's been more than one occasion that, how is that fair, God? Some of us seek to follow you, and yet he spreads love on everyone. And I also find this teaching challenging because he doesn't tell us why. 
He doesn't give us a game plan from here, and this is why you do these things. But he just says, my followers will love everyone. If you want to be called a children, the children of God, you will love everyone. But this teaching also brought up a question in my life that you probably asked the same question to yourself. What if I don't have any enemies? And I'm not talking on a macro level of this country or that country or this big group or that big group, but what if you individually don't have any enemies? Is this teaching for you? And I'd say yes, it is for you. And maybe you don't have an enemy in the traditional sense, but what if, on the lowest sense of the term, you had people that just annoyed you in your life? (laughs) What if you had people that asked too much of you, that got under your skin, that irritated you? See, we all have people like that in our life. And my default becomes to avoid them, not to seek out to do good in their life. That's what Jesus says love is is to seek out and to do good in their life. We may not call them enemies, but we put people in that camp. And loving people means loving people, and it means loving all people. We don't get to opt out of this one. So what do we do? I want to offer three things that we do as people who follow Jesus. The first, and you're doing this, the first is that we go to church. And you're here this morning, so awesome. Way to go. Check that one. Um, Do you know, in this room, there is nothing that we can all agree on. That even if we said, does everyone here love the Cowboys? I have seen a few of you in here that I know don't love the Cowboys in here today. You can come forward later. (laughs) No matter how we try to divide in our sports allegiances, in our voting habits, in our theological preferences, there is nothing that that unifies all of us except for Jesus Christ. That is all that we have in common here today. And so if we're going to love people in the world, if we're going to love people that we come across, it has to start here. So church is our training ground. It's where we practice. Because being in relationship with each other means that we're not always going to get along. We're not always going to see eye to eye. But we love each other anyways. But we are here to seek good for people anyways. We serve one another. We lift each other up and we put each other ahead of ourselves. That's why it's important to be at church. It's important to find a connect group, people that you can walk in life with. People that, by the way, even in your connect group, you won't all agree there either. Because we need to know how to do it here. If we can't do it here, we won't be successful anywhere else. Jesus says, for Jesus there is no spiritual life and secular life. There is only life. And we follow him in every aspect of that life. The second thing we do is we pray. And this was in the scripture for today. That when you come across people who are trying to do harm to you, or at the very least annoy you or irritate you, at the very least we stop and we pray. And we pray first that God, give me the eyes to see them as you see them. As a child of yours. We also pray for our heart to be transformed. That we will love them as God loves them. That's who we are to be as people. And the last thing we do is we go 
and we love people. Again, we can't wait for opportunities to come to us, but as Christians, we have said that we will be people of love. And so when we go from here, every week we send you to do something, and that something is to love the world that God loves. That is who we are called to be as people. We're called to love others. We don't wait for it to come across our path, but we seek out ways to love people daily. That is who we are. This week, I really wanted to bring a prop on stage, and I thought long and hard about what could I bring up here? What represents this teaching the best? And I couldn't come, I couldn't get past the cross. Because in the cross, we see Jesus live out this teaching. Not only do they beat him and take his clothes and his cloak, but he, in the face of violence, willingly goes to the cross. That in the face of injustice, he bears the weight of that for those who are not worthy. And that's you and me. See, none of us were pure and holy when Jesus decided to go to the cross. There were no righteous, but Jesus said, I will bear all the sins of the world out of my great love for them. And you and I are called to do the same. We don't get to separate people between those that are worthy of love and those that aren't. Because our Savior didn't do that with us. So we don't do that with others. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back up here as we close. And maybe this teaching for you today, you don't know where to start. And we want to walk with you in that. We want everyone to wake up and daily seek ways to love other people. Because if Christians did that, the world would change. If we sought out the good of others and loved someone every single day, the world would change. Let's follow our Savior in this. Our shepherds and their wives will be around the room if you need prayers. Won't you come as we stand and sing?